you know, so, and some you haven't. That's why I asked him to teach that whole, that whole class. And so it's very, very necessary for us to understand the basics of Christianity, the basics of what are those steps after you get saved. We need to understand salvation, but once you understand salvation, then what's next? And it's important to read your Bible. It's important to pray. It's important to give. It's important to be in church. It's important for all of those things. And so I know that he's spent uh, the last, I don't know, several months going over that. And those are absolutely necessary things to help you be the Christian that you should be. And you might be anywhere on that spectrum, uh, having things taken care of or needing to work on some things. That's why, that's why we teach it. That's why I preach any of the things that I preach in, in messages on Sunday morning or whatever else. That's, that's why we do it, because it's necessary, and um, we need to know where we fall short. We need to know where we can say, okay, I think I've got that one taken care of. I'm going to make sure that stays strong, whatever it happens to be. Uh, none of us are going to be the perfect Christian until we get to heaven. So every single one of us should be constantly working on something in this life. And so I don't expect anybody to be perfect. And I hope you don't expect me to be perfect because none of us are going to be. And so, uh, but, but depending on where you are, I'm going to add something else to that as a next step. And there's, there is a constant assault on what I believe to be an important expression of Christianity. And, and you're just going to have to kind of follow along with me. I'll try to keep you up with the notes. That's number one. I'm really just going to give you an introduction to, to today and, and kind of give you the importance of uh, why this is important. Why is it important to have convictions? Why is it important to have standards? And by the way, we have standards on all kinds of different things. Everybody has standards. Uh, it just depends on where your standards are and where you draw that line, right? Um, I, I have not seen any of our women walk in here in a bikini in the last few weeks. Why is that? Because you have a standard, right? And it's just a matter of where you draw the line on those standards. And so I'm going to explain and define what convictions are. I'm going to explain and define what standards are. We have standards when it comes to dress. We have standards when it comes to music. We have standards when it comes to basically everything in our life. And so how do you define what those convictions are? How do you define what those standards are? And why is it important? So that's what, I, that's what I'm going to give you this morning is, is really the reasons why it's important that we look at this and why it's important that we study it. So there, there's a constant assault on what I believe to be an important expression of Christianity. Uh, and this is the first point underneath of that. Our appearance as Christian matters, as Christians matter. Um, it's, it's part of our testimony. This is the second, the second part. Does anybody need a pen, by the way? I guess I should have asked. Everybody's got one. Look at that. Oh, he needs one. All right. Hey, we've got the... Oh, you've got it right there. Perfect. So, um, it's part of our testimony. It's part of the representation of who we are in this world, right, as Christians. And so, our appearance is what people see. And I want to give you the reason, rather than the emotional explanation of standards, that's necessary to help you to stand against the spirit of the age. And there's no doubt that this world is turning more and more against Christ, hates Christianity more and more, hates you more and more, and the more we act like them and the more we look like them, the more we are helping that spirit of this age to progress. Somebody's got to stand up against it. Somebody has to be the opposition to that. The easy thing is, is to go along with it, and even if we're not as far to the left... Uh, your left, whatever, however you want to see it, even if we're, if we're not as far to the left as they are, what's happening is the world is marching very quickly that direction, but Christianity is 
five steps behind it, but marching right along with it. At some point, we have to stop that because then it's no longer Christ-like, let alone different from the world, right? And so somewhere we have to draw those lines and hold that line and hold those standards so that we can be different than the world and so that we can fight against the spirit of this age, right? The Bible taught, and we've been talking about it on Wednesday nights in, in the book of James, right? The idea of worldliness. If we want to fight worldliness, we've got to draw the line and stop being like the world somewhere. So how do you draw the line? Where do you draw that line? That is defined by convictions, and then those convictions are defined by the standards. And so it's a very, very important thing, and I want to give you the explanation of those standards that's necessary to help you stand where you should stand and fight against those things. And so what I also want to do, hopefully, is, is uh, help you to formulate standards as it relates to your appearance, that, uh, standards that are not driven by me or by your fear, or by your carnality, or by your pride, or by any of those other things. I want to help you formulate standards that are driven by your desire to reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what everything that we do should be all about anyway? And it reflects the holiness of Christ, and it also reflects your love for him at the same time. And so, along with that, I want to make sure you understand that how we look is not an isolated thing. It doesn't make us spiritual in and of itself. Right? There's plenty of people who dress, quote-unquote, the right way who have no desire to live for the Lord. And there's people who don't dress the right way who do have a desire to please the Lord. They just maybe don't, maybe don't understand or don't know what some of those things are. And so I also, we also have to understand that our spirituality is not divorced from the way that we look either. And so um, and, and, and the other thing is, uh, I also, I want our young people in here, obviously I teach the, the, the youth class, and so uh, it makes sense if I'm not in there that they would be in here, but all the things that we do as youth require that they, you know, the, 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 the young man and the young ladies dress modestly, and there are certain standards, but the thing is, even, even standards for, for men today are not modest. I mean, you look around at all these skinny jeans and all of this kind of stuff. That's not modest. That's not something that a Christian ought to be wearing, right? It, it doesn't, I, I don't believe it pleases the Lord. But everywhere we go with these young people, these standards are in place, and we do them because of those standards. But I want them to be able to understand why we do it, it rather than something that I'm just saying, you have to do this, all right? So um, I found this, uh, this story a while back, and I thought it was, I thought it was pretty interesting, but uh, a girl bought an iPhone, and when her father saw it, he asked her, what was the first thing you did when you bought it? And she said, well, I put an anti-scratch sticker on the screen, and I bought a cover for the phone. He said, did somebody force you to do that? She said, no. He said, D -d 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 don't you think it's an insult to the manufacturer that you would cover up that phone like that? She said, actually, I covered it because I didn't want it to get damaged and decrease the value of the phone. He said, well, when you put the cover on, didn't it reduce the beauty of your iPhone? She said, I think it looks better with the cover on it. And it's worth it for the protection that it gives my phone. And the story said the father looked lovingly at his daughter and said, yet if I had asked you to cover your body, which is much more valuable and precious than the iPhone, would you have readily agreed? And the story said she was mute. Here's another thing I found. Dear girls, always do remember that indecent dressing and exposure of your body affects others' perception of your great value and in many cases causes them to lose respect for you. 
which is a, a great point. So I did, a, I did a series on this in 2022. If you want to go back, I, I, think it was, I think it was 15 weeks, maybe a couple weeks longer than that even, and I'm not going to take that much time to do this. This is going to be probably three weeks. I'm going to give you a summary of all of that. Um, if you want to go back and watch it, you can. I think it started in July of 22, and I think we finished in, in February of 23. Laid out a lot of these things in detail. But that series was based on some lessons that Pastor Tom Brennan had put together. You've probably never even heard of him. Um, I follow him on uh, uh, a blog that he does. But he put that together in a, um, in, a, in a bunch of blog content posts and things. But then he actually just published a book on it. And when I finish up with this in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have a bunch of copies of those books. It's not, I was going to bring it. And I forgot to bring it with me so I could show it to you. It's not, very, it's not a very thick book. It's pretty concise, but it's very well put together. Answers a lot of questions that will help you with those things when it comes to Bible verses and everything else. But I'm, I'm basing what I'm doing here kind of on that as well. But there's a couple things, and this is number two, <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that you need to understand as we get into this. And the, the first thing, I think, is that your appearance matters. One of the things that, that is an argument against why do we need standards, especially when it comes to dress, why do we need these standards? It doesn't matter what I wear. I can wear what I want. And you can. You're right. You have that liberty in Christ. You can wear whatever you want. But you also have to understand that your appearance matters. And here's why. First and simplest, we have to accept that our appearance is addressed in the Scripture. And I had you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, one of the shortest verses in the Bible is found there in verse number 22. It says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Well, that could be talking about a lot of different things, right? The appearance of evil. I mean, it could be any number of different things. But appearance, that word appearance matters because that's what people are looking at, right? How does it appear? What does it look like? It may not be sin, but if it looks like sin... He's telling us not just to avoid sin or avoid evil, but avoid the appearance of evil. So what I'm saying is our appearance does matter, and the way things look matters. If God speaks about it, then we should try to study it. We should try to learn it. We should try to apply it. Second thing, we should realize that our appearance is the way that others see our Christianity first. Now, I don't want you to get the, the conception that I'm saying how you dress defines your Christianity. There's a lot of people who dress a certain way because they want people to think that they're a great Christian. And that's been, a, that's been a problem within fundamentalism, if you will, independent fundamental Baptist, for a long time. You dress that way? Wow, you must be a great Christian. Oh, you dress that way? You must be a horrible Christian. That does not define our Christianity. But when somebody looks... In fact, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. When somebody looks at us... The first thing and the only thing that they have to go off of is what you, what you look like, right? You see somebody that is uh, covered in tattoos uh, with long, scraggly hair, uh, combat boots, all black clothing. What's your first thought? That guy probably goes to church every Sunday. <laughs> is that what you think? No, you think the exact opposite of that. Why? He might be somebody that goes to church every Sunday. In fact, nowadays, he might be a pastor in a church somewhere, <laughs> right? But you, all you have to go off of is what he looks like, right? And without talking to that guy or without saying anything to him or him saying anything to you, you make your first judgment by the appearance. 
Because that's all we have to look at. Can we open up his chest and look inside and say, oh man, look, he's got a pretty clean heart. Close it back up. You can't do that, right? We can't see the heart. Only God sees that. But look what he says in 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Which, what was Samuel looking at? Height of his countenance, his stature, right? I've refused him, God said, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, God looks at the heart. That's the only thing that matters. It matters, and the heart matters the most, but it's not the only thing that matters. Because the only thing that man has to go on is what it looks like on the outside. So like it or not, most of the world makes their judgment calls on the basis of how we look, how we act, how we behave, on what's visible to them prior to actually getting to know the person that we're in, that's in question. And so as a Christian, I should not be primarily concerned with what people think. I should be primarily concerned with what God thinks and what my heart is like. Um, but I want to have a godly effect on people when they see me. When people look at me, what impression do they get? Do they say, that guy must be a Christian? That lady must be a Christian. And again, it doesn't define you. How you dress does not define you as a good or a bad Christian, but that's what people are doing because that's all they have to go on. And so I want to reveal Christ in me, the hope of glory. Isn't that what the Bible says? But before I ever get to do that with my words, I have to be conscious that I can either help that or hinder that based on how I'm dressed and how I look on the outside. Here's number three. I believe that addressing the Christian's appearance is needed more now than ever. And I just briefly talked about it, but turn over to, to Mark chapter 1. The first thing that I want you to write down in this, uh, and why it's important that we address this, is because it's evident in America that we have a declining Christianity paired with a growing paganism. It's exactly what I talked about. When you have a world that is increasingly moving away from Christ, and a Christianity that may not be as far as that is, but is right behind it and moving in lockstep with it, we have an, we have an increasing, declining, increasingly declining, maybe I should say just the declining Christianity that is following this pagan culture and this pagan world and everything else. Look, in the 1920s, everybody used to cover up, whether they were a Christian or not. It was a moral thing. It was a world thing to do, Right? I mean, you remember, uh, I mean, probably the 20s and 30s, I mean, they, were, they were giving tickets to ladies at the, uh, at the beach who were not wearing a bathing suit that was long enough, right? Now, are there even any rules when it goes to the beach? Which, by the way, you shouldn't go because of that exact thing. You're not going to the beach to put clothes on, and everybody knows that. You want to go to the beach, go somewhere where there's no people. We've been to the beach many times. We go where there's no people, and you can find places to do that. Um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be in the water or anything like that, but something you've got to be very careful of. It's your Christianity. It's your holiness. It's your mind. It's your purity. It's all of those things at stake. But what I'm saying is, back in the 1920s and the 1930s, nobody did it. Why was that? Because that's what was the acceptable thing to do, because everybody was afraid to take their clothes off in public. Because they at least had the morals from the Bible about a, a, at least a sense of decency and a sense of modesty, right? Now the world is way over here, but where are Christians in relation to that? 
right? Many of the Christians have followed the pagan culture way farther than the world even had before, right? And so where do you draw the line? When do you stop following, following the culture, right? The world is not going to be satisfied until you can walk around in public with no clothes on and not have any issues with it, right? And, and I mean, if I said that 10 years ago, that might have been hard to believe. It's not hard to believe that today. People are doing it. I mean, they have these giant rallies where everybody takes their clothes off to make a point, right? And do they go arrest everybody that's in the rally? No, they're letting them make their point. But what's going to happen is eventually that's going to become mainstream and it's going to be okay because once you have this acceptance culture and the cancel culture of everything else, then eventually you're not going to be able to tell anybody that you can't do that. They're just expressing themselves. And if you're telling everybody that they can do whatever they want to express themselves, then you have to allow that. It's not far off before that's allowed. So what are we going to do as Christians? Are we going to follow them into that? Are we going to do the same thing? Are we going to have churches where you can come and, and clothing optional? It sounds, it sounds preposterous. But we've already followed the world into so many of those other things that they've already done and called it acceptable that why, why would we think that, it were, that we wouldn't keep following the world in that way, right? So we have to draw the line somewhere. That's why this is important. Where do you draw that line? American Christianity is declining to the point that we are following right along with this growing paganism. Mark chapter 1, look what happened. And this is a whole story. But Jesus heals this man that was in the tombs and walking around uh, naked, the Bible says, cutting himself. What happened when he met Jesus? They come to Jesus, verse number 15, and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Wow, look what, look what is paired together with that. He, he's, he meets Jesus, the demons are cast out, he puts his clothes back on, and he's in his right mind. Maybe you could say he's in his right mind, then he puts his clothes back on. Did I give you the wrong verse? Yeah. I have Mark chapter, what is it? Sorry, Mark 5, 15. Everybody's, everybody's flipping around and looking at me. Everybody wants to say it, but nobody did. Mark chapter 5 and verse 15. Sorry about that. Yeah, Mark chapter 1 is not that story, so... But they come to Jesus, verse 15, and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. So when a person individually or a society corporately is operating under the effect of the devil or under the effect of Christ is evident in their appearance, right? What, what are some of the things that, that uh, when, you, when you see some of these pictures of some of these demonic, you know, satanic things that are going on in our country, right? First thing everybody starts doing is taking all their clothes off. Right. Look at look at some of these uh, some of these really popular uh, Burning Man and some of these other music festivals and concerts and everything else. What what is associated with all of that? Drinking, drugs, and taking your clothes off. Right. So depending on if you're trying to reflect the devil and the world or Christ and holiness, it, it's going to be reflected in your appearance. And so. What do we find in America today? Well, undeniably, we're finding a, a growing breakdown of any public sense of modesty. I mean, look, yoga pants have become mainstream. Everybody wears yoga pants, right? It leaves nothing to the imagination. Why do you even put pants on if that's what you're going to wear, 
right? I mean, could you imagine if I walked in in a pair of yoga pants, right? But it's acceptable for women, not acceptable for men, although it's getting more acceptable for men today, right? How, how is that modest? Okay, just because it's actually covering flesh doesn't mean that it's, that it's, that it's not revealing everything that's there to be revealed, right? But again, it's the same thing. Well, we can express ourselves how we want to. You can't put down women and tell them what they can and can't wear. No, I'm, I'm not trying to. But the Bible defines modesty, and that's not it. And so it doesn't matter what the world accepts. It doesn't matter what the world says is okay. If it's not modest, then it should not be worn by a Christian. Right? And there's a whole lot of other things that fit in that same category. But you think about the activists that are, that are trying to advocate for the right for the women to, to go topless and everything else, right? Why can't, why can't they? Who's to stop them? Right? Everything else is acceptable. And so local governments, I mean, it, it, national government even now especially, look the other way when they have these pride parades and violating public decency laws, and we still have laws in our books that are public decency laws, but everybody looks the other way because how can you tell them they can't do that if they're allowed to do everything else, right? And so nobody breathes a word about opposition. I could go on and on and on with that, but what I'm saying is our culture is getting more and more pagan and more and more evil, and Christianity is walking in lockstep a few steps behind that following right along. And so we've got to draw the line somewhere. That's why it's important that we address how Christians dress. The second thing is this. B on your notes. We see the cultural captivity of American Christianity. And Ezekiel chapter 22. I hope that's the right verse. Ezekiel chapter 22. Here's the problem. Contemporary American Christianity, which is the largest portion of Christianity today, right? It's why, it's why the churches who are preaching the truth are, for the most part, very small, right? And your huge, massive 15, 20, 30,000 people congregations are full-blown contemporary that are not preaching anything because they don't want to offend anybody, and that's why it's full, right? But contemporary Christianity has been built to be like the world. And so it is. It's exactly like the world. What are you preaching in your church if you're not preaching that we ought to be separate from the world? Isn't that part of the Bible? I mean, how many times is the, to, to be, look at James. To be like the world is to be the enemy of God. And they're saying, okay, well, that's fine. We're, we're okay with that. We'll, we'll still be like the world. How can, you, how can you claim to want to be like Christ and still have a desire to be exactly like the world at the same time. Which, by the way, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of the problem with the contemporary Christian music scene as well, right? See those people up there on the stage and tell me that there's anything different from them than any other rock band that you see on, on a stage performing anywhere else, right? They look exactly the same. Why is that? Because they want to be exactly the same. They're not trying to be any different. They want you to accept them as a mainstream musician. Most of them are just not good enough to be mainstream musicians, so they go to contemporary Christian music. But give them the chance to cross over, and look what happens, right? I remember the very first, one of the very first examples of this years and years ago was Amy Grant, 
Remember that? She was the, this American, I mean, not American, but this uh, Christian singer who was, you know, pushing that edge. And I don't really know any of the songs that Amy Grant sang. But, but as soon as Amy Grant started getting accepted mainstream, guess what she did? Well, I'm not necessarily an only Christian singer, right? And then she started making all kinds of albums that were not Christian at all, right? You see a lot of that same exact thing happening with, with some of these contemporary Christian artists today. As soon as they get that chance to be accepted mainstream, they jump ship and they abandon every pretense of being a Christian. Why is that? Because they want to be like the world. They want to be accepted by the world. They have no pretense of trying to be different from the world. They want to be accepted. And listen, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be a peculiar people. That's what the Bible says. Amen. You don't have to be weird, but you're going to be peculiar. What does peculiar mean? It means different. And if you are not offering something different than what the world is offering then what are you even offering? Why are you even a church? If you're not offering anything different, let's just go start a social club and actually charge people to be there, right? I mean, why not? That's, that's, what, that's what contemporary Christianity is all about, which means that it's failing almost entirely to teach and preach against the world. How can a pastor get up and preach that y'all not to be like the world when he followed the musicians who, who looked... Worse than the world in a lot of cases, who were acting just like the world the entire time they were up there, and now the pastor's going to get up and preach, don't be like the world, right? When in actuality, that's what he's standing up there looking like with his skinny jeans tucked into his boots that are untied that he paid $5,000 for, and his, you know, Gucci shirt, is Gucci still popular? I don't know. His Gucci shirt and, and, and necklaces hanging around his neck and all of those other things. How can you get up and preach that? If you're no different than the world, you can't. So you have to avoid all of that, right? And now you are failing in your responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. You can't preach the whole counsel of God or you're a hypocrite. So you either get up there and be a hypocrite, or you don't preach the whole counsel of God. And honestly, if you're not even trying to separate from the world, what are you preaching? The grace of God? That's what a lot of people start preaching, because that's the only thing they can say. God gives us the grace to dress how we want, to act how we want, to live how we want. Right? And then at that point, is it even Christianity? You see the problem, right? American Christianity, contemporary American Christianity is held captive by the culture. And when we're held captive by the culture, we cannot counteract the culture. Right? So now all the transgenderism stuff comes along. How can you say, don't do that? You're part of it. You got your women dressing like men, and you got your men dressing like women. How can you say, transgender is wrong? You're all cro Everybody's cross-dressing. Right? How can you say anything different? You can't. You can't. And so as a result, it looks and acts more and more like the world, all with barely a blush or a sense that anything is even amiss. And so over the last 30, 40, 50 years, things changed because we certainly do not dress modestly like we used to. And believe it or not, it was not the Bible that changed. It was American Christianity that changed to be more like the world instead of us influencing the world to be more like the Bible. And it falls upon us to change back into the conformity with the Word of God. 
Number three, and this is on the second page there. I, I had a few of those. I hope, I, I hope you didn't uh, miss, miss some of those. If you did, I'll, I'll give you the blanks. But letter C, American Christianity and even some in the Independent Baptist movement have wrong concepts of doctrine such as grace and liberty and legalism. Turn over to Jude 4. Jude 4 is an important verse when it comes to this. And I, I mentioned this the other night, I think uh, maybe Wednesday night in our, in our study in the book of James, when we were talking about all of this, that uh, the idea of legalism is totally different than what we have as an idea of legalism today. And the idea of grace and liberty is totally different than how people use that idea of grace and liberty today. Jude 4 says, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Christian liberty, and this is your first point under that, does not mean that you can live however you want. Grace does not mean that pastors cannot and should not draw clear lines in relation to what you wear, where you go, what you listen to, what you watch, right? All of those things are standards. All of those things are standards. You saying, I'm going to listen to this, but not this, or I'm, I'm not going to listen to this, but I will listen to that, is a standard that you've drawn. I will watch this, but not that. I won't watch that, but I will watch this, is a standard that you've drawn, right? I will wear this, but I won't wear that, or I won't wear that, but I will wear this, is a standard that you've drawn. And it falls on me as the pastor of this church, to help define where those standards are drawn. And how do we define those standards? We want to be as close to Christ and as close to holiness as we possibly can be. So it, would it be okay for me to get up and say, you know what? I don't know exactly where to draw the line when it comes to what you're watching. But I will say that if it only has a couple cuss words in it, and if there's only one or two scenes in there that may not be appropriate, then those movies are okay. What would you expect me to say? You would expect me to say, if it's got cussing in it, don't watch it. If it's got anything in it that's inappropriate, don't watch it. And by the way, if I'm asking you to jump a foot, you can know that I'm jumping three. Okay, because I'm not asking you to do something that I don't do myself. That would be hypocrisy. And I'm not asking you to do something that I don't already do in my own life. So I'm holding myself to the same standard. And if you think, oh, that's so hard, how do you even do that? It's doable because it's being done. It's being done before it's even brought to you in the first place. But grace does not mean that we cannot do those things. Having and preaching standards of appearance does not intrinsically make me legalistic. Most people don't even have any idea what that idea of legalism is anyway. But we'll talk about that in a different day. Letter D. There's been an incorrect or overemphasis on standards in past generations and in some Bible colleges and schools, and this has in turn produced an overcorrection in many of the younger people in the independent Baptist movement. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, Solomon said, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, right? God measures the heart first, he measures the heart most, he measures the heart always, not necessarily how long your skirt is 
or how tight your pants are or any of those other things, right? God tells us that some things are weightier than others, and whether a man's haircut is tapered or blocked in the back is not one of those weighty things, right? But when colleges and ministries made conformity to outward appearance the standard and made that equivalent to good Christianity, then a lot of people started conforming to that outward appearance because they wanted to be equated with good Christianity, they weren't doing it because they wanted to do it or because they understood it or because they knew this is why I'm doing it. They did it because they wanted to look good to the people who put that standard in place. And those people who put that standard in place made that standard equivalent to good Christianity. And so they wanted to be looked at as a good Christian, so they just conformed. That produced an overreaction the other way that says that appearance does not matter. And that's not the case. Here's, here's a point underneath that. The ditch on both sides is still the ditch. You might have an overemphasis on it and be in the ditch on this side and then have an overcorrection and be in a ditch on this side. Still a ditch. And it needs, you need to be in the middle of the road. So the solution to an incorrect or wrong emphasis is not no emphasis. We still need to teach what God says about our appearance, even if somebody else previously or even presently misrepresented and misapplies and misuses it. Here's the last thing. Most pastors of, of all stripes nowadays are afraid to discuss it. And that's why it's an important issue to discuss. Anytime pastors are afraid to touch an issue, there's a deep problem. And I don't you know, I'll be the first to say that it's not an easy thing for me to discuss. I don't know why I put myself in this position. Most people don't want it to hear it, so the natural thing is to attack the messenger, right? And I don't particularly care to put myself in that position, but that's also the reason I didn't ask Brother Brian to teach this part either. If you're going to be mad at anybody, I want you to be mad at me and not him. He's a nice guy, right? <laughs> but pastors are called, like it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, right? If it's in the Bible, I have got to preach it. And I, have, I came to these conclusions a long time ago. It's the way I grew up. But I came to those conclusions a long time ago on my own through my own study because I struggled with it for a while. Is it necessary? Is it something that we ought to be doing? And so I came to those conclusions a long time ago that, yes, it absolutely is necessary, and it is something that we ought to be doing. And so because I've come to those conclusions from the Word of God, I would be failing in my duty to not preach those things because it would be a conscious choice that I'm making not to preach it. And as I've told you many times before, I'm going to answer to the Lord for what I preach in this church. And I'm going to answer for why I preach it and how I preach it, and I'll also answer to Him for my silence. This old statement says, silence is golden, but sometimes it's just plain yellow. And that's exactly what it is. And so I have to be willing to lose friends or lose people in the church, and I don't think it'll lead to that, but I have to speak what I believe God wants me to speak, especially when so many people have given up addressing it. And I'm not doing it for that reason at all. Obviously, I don't. I don't want to... I don't want anybody to say, well, if that's the standard here, then, that, then that's something that we can't do, and we're gone. And, and <clears throat> I hope that's not the case, but I have to be willing to do that the same way that I have to be willing to lose friends if I give them the gospel, and they don't like what I'm preaching. It's part of the word of God. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't make this up, and, and, and now I'm giving it to you to try to lose friends and, and, and separate people, you know? <laughs> 
So before we get into the details of what a conviction, what a standard is, how we apply them, I, I want to I say just a couple things as we conclude today. And, and the first thing is that this subject needs to be taught. It needs to be discussed. It needs to be applied. It needs to be studied. And, and maybe this is the first time that you're hearing this. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard that concept, but you've uh, never heard it explained before and why it's necessary to follow modesty in this way. It's not, it's not the end all of Christianity. It doesn't, doesn't make you a good Christian, doesn't make you a bad Christian. But it's an important issue that needs to be studied, and I believe that we as a church, we've studied it before, but I believe that we as a church need to make sure that we understand it and why we're doing it. And I'll gladly have an open discussion with, with any of you as we move forward because I want you to understand it. I, I'm not just shoving something down your throat. I want the standards and convictions to become yours, not just something you do because you have to do it because you're here. And as the Lord sees my heart, my desire here is to edify when it comes to these things that we find in the Word of God. Our, our goal is or ought to be to love the Lord supremely with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. That means everything you have, everything you are, ought to go into loving the Lord with all of your heart. And then to embrace the importance of making that visible in our appearance, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? What, what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart. And what goes on your body is a reflection of your heart. And so let me ask you not to get mad, all right? Don't skip Sunday school for the next few weeks because you don't want to hear what the Bible has to say about this. Hear me out on this topic. It's, some, it's not something that I made up. It's, it's in the Bible, and so we're going to discuss it. And I think, it's a, I think it fits perfectly in line with everything that Brother Brian's been talking about when it comes to first steps for new Christians, right? You take steps, you take steps, you take steps, you take steps. This is another step. That's what this is all about. And so listen to what the Bible has to say about it before you draw your automatic conclusion. So it's, it's, it's the next step in getting as close to the holiness of God as we can. And I think everybody would say that they want to be as holy as they possibly can. I think everybody would say they want to be as close to Christ as they possibly can, right? And again, it doesn't make you a good Christian because you do this, but if, if you are taking all of these other steps, it's the next step, and it's an important step. And if you know that that's the step that you need to take and you're just purposely not doing it, then it's actually going the opposite direction. You're, you are living in rebellion against the Word of God. Just because it's something that you don't like or don't want to do or don't, you know, whatever, does not mean that we don't have to do it. The same way when the Bible says, you know, uh, uh, separate from the world. Well, I don't think I need to do that. I can't give up my movies. You would say, well, that's, that's dumb. You're living in rebellion to the Word of God, right? Or, well, I've been cussing my whole life, and it's just part of who I am. I can't stop cussing. Well, you're living in rebellion against the Word of God, right? Because the Bible says it. And this is one more thing that the Bible addresses that very few people are willing to address because it does cause division, because we as American Christianity have gotten so far away from that that now it's a divisive thing. It never was, and it never should be. We've let it become that, but it's still in the Bible, and it's still something that we need to discuss, and it's still something that I hope you will sit and listen to what the Bible has to say about it. And like I said, I'm not going to go 15 weeks. I'm going to go three, maybe four at the most. But I want you to understand it. Why do we have convictions? Why do we have standards? How do we define what those convictions are? And how do we define what those standards are when it comes to anything, not just dress, 
But when it comes to anything, where do we draw those lines? How do we know? And that's what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. All right? Let's pray, and we'll be ready for our next service. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for an opportunity we have to, to open your word. I pray, that, I pray that you'd give every one of us discernment, pray that you give every one of us a desire to be as close to you as we can. And God, I pray that you just give us a desire to, to learn from the word of God. And I pray that you would just be with the service in the next hour. Give us what we need. God, help us to, help us to, to want to live for you as closely as we can. And I pray that you would uh, help our hearts to be prepared for the next service as well. Thank you again for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.